Let's begin in a word of prayer. God, I praise you for the the day that we have together, the gift that it is to celebrate your resurrection as we do every Sunday, the assurance that we will rise again as well, the privilege it is to, to gather with your people, to praise, to worship you, to pray to you, to hear from you. All of these things are gifts to us that we are undeserving of, but you have loved us and given us yourself. And I ask for your help this morning and all the things that happen um, with the, the Sunday school time as we think about your son, Jesus Christ, and um, the mystery of Jesus, and for the, the music this morning and for the preaching, we ask for your help in all of it that today you would um, work in our midst, in our hearts, encourage us and point us to you that we would be able to feast today, come away feeling full on the glories of seeing Jesus Christ and all of it. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just quickly review our question last week. Who is the Redeemer? We talked about Jesus. Remember, all the questions are logically leading to each other. What is sin? What is idolatry? All of that. And we finally got to that question about, well, what in the world is going to happen with this problem we have? We're we're doomed, essentially. And then the question 19 was, what's the plan? And it says that God sends a Redeemer. Last week's question is, who is the Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. So that was our question last week, and you'll see today that then we're actually now in a new section. That was now the first 20 questions, now we're going to have the next uh, block are going to be centered around Jesus and the gospel. But I want to start off this morning talking about different world religions a little bit. Um, other religions actually do believe that Jesus existed and have different views, very similar views, but they miss out on one important thing. Well, many, but one really key, especially thing. Uh, Islam believes that Jesus was real, that he was the son of Mary, that he was a prophet and a wise man. Um, I think his, uh, there's even prophecies about him coming back. But the key thing is that they don't believe that Jesus was God. Then Judaism, they believe even more about Jesus. They believe, yes, he was a son of Mary, that he was real, he was a respected and popular teacher, but he was also a miracle worker, and then he had supernatural power. power. They don't deny that. But again, the Jews do not believe that Jesus is God. Hinduism. It believes that Jesus was a holy man, that Jesus was a wise teacher, and some even believe that Jesus is a God among all the other gods they worship. But they do not believe that Jesus is the God. And Buddhism, they believe that he was a holy man, he was an enlightened man, and that he was a wise teacher, but that's about it. They don't believe that he was God. We actually do believe that he is the one true God. 
second person of the Trinity, right? And our question today is, what sort of Redeemer? So, who is the Redeemer last week? Jesus. Now the question asks, what sort of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? And of all the answers in our catechism, I think we can memorize this one. <laughs> I, I kept going back and forth. Is there an error? Is this just the kid's answer? Nope, that's the answer. The question itself is longer than the answer. One who is truly human and also truly God. So what sort of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? One who is truly human and also truly God. So we need to explore that a little bit. And the first thing I want to dig into is what does it mean when we talk about the essence of something? We're going to get kind of heady here for a little bit. So bear with me. What's the nature of something? When we talk about that, what do we mean? And and to help us out with this, I'm going to give us a little exercise that hopefully won't take us too long. I keep wrestling with doing this fun little exercise because I think it may take us too long. (laughs) But I need... um, I'm so glad she's not in the nursery because she's good at this game. I need you to close your eyes, wife. All right, you can't open them until I say. All right, so we are going to have her ask us 20 questions to guess what this character is on the screen and what its nature is, what its essence is. All right, so we can only answer yes or no questions. It is a character. So you're up. Audrey. My classification is character? Yeah, it's a character. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, sorry. When did it originate? Right. Okay, did it originate? What I'm asking is, did it originate the last No. Time? Okay. Okay, last hundred years? Yes. Yes. Okay. Is it a human? No. Animal. Yes. Last hundred years. Okay. You can chew on your questions for one second. The kinds of questions she's asked 
Do you see what she's doing? She's thinking broad categories and she keeps slicing these categories down into smaller groups. But they're also revolving around, around what it's like. Right? Did you see that? That's kind of what we mean when we're talking about essence. Did you have a question, Jeff? No, no. no. Oh, just counting. just counting. Oh, thank you. We're on to four or five. I think it was five. Nine. Oh, you're up to nine. All right. <laughs> she just loves when we get bored this is what we do <laughs> we're weird okay but you said it's in a movie but it's over 100 years old so it's also in a book so it has to be something older and yet relative um is it american yes ah in what sense <laughs> was the book written by an american author i don't, I don't think, think so, so. Mm -mm, no okay i know it's not so then British. Yes. <laughs> is it Paddington? No. Is it Pooh? Yes. Open your no. eyes. <laughs> Go, Mom. Do you see how we... F well, oh, I forgot to ask you the last question. What's the essence of that character? Honey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me get all Socrates on you. Is honey the thing of which that is made? No. No then that's not its essence. What is the essence? What is its... What is its substance? What would you call that kind of character, Wes? Pudgy bear. Bear. He said pudgy bear. That's describing the, the essence of it. But it is... It is bear. It is bear and it is bareness. All right. Who wants to try one more? It's a little bit easier. It's a historical person. Okay? Let's get an adult. <laughs> Every, his friends are putting him on the pressure. His, his children. How about... <laughs> okay. We got time. Matt, do you want to try it? I'm terrible at this, but I'll try. We can, we can help him out. All right. So you close your eyes. Um. This is a historical person. Usually this works well if you at least give them a top-level category. Historical, historical person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Is it a man? Yes. All right, so he immediately ruled out half of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially. Does he have a beard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's not where I would have gone, the beard, but... Is he a theologian? No. Well, everybody's a theologian, according to R.C. Sproul. Uh, is he a scientist? No. Is he famous? Yes. yes. Is he alive today? No. He did. <laughs> you said no to scientists, right? Correct. So if I was, I, I researched, like, is there, are there, like, strategies to do this? And there kind of is. One of them is, is now pick an area of the world, Ooh. right? That'll help you in terms of the kind of history. Is he European? No. Is he American? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is he an author? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That, that's a misleading question, though. It's going to send you the wrong direction. 
the politician. Yes. Um, who I think I know who it is. Uh, was he a president? Yes. Uh, is it Abraham Lincoln? Open your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I... The third question was more relevant. It it really was. (laughs) But I was worried that that would really send you down the wrong track. Right. Right, right, right. Everybody's a theologian. (laughs) Okay, so... um, We're asking this question, like, what is its essence? Who is it? And what is its essence? So that's a really big philosophical question. But anybody under the age of 21 want to try to tackle what do we mean when we say what is a thing's essence? Will? Awesome. That's the definition I put is the substance of a thing. But you said what makes it up. Matt, what would you say? Well, and that's, that's important because Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. I, I think, was technically made out of stuff. I think he was a stuffed bear. He was. You're right. Right? Stuffy. Because there's a time where he rips and they have to like sew him back together. This is true. I know these stories. And, um, <laughs> but he's obviously more than that as far as when we say who's Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Yes, there is much more to just stuffing, right? His essence is at the very core, like, it it has to be at least this. So when we talk about ourselves, our essence is human. Our nature is human. You have a human nature, right? Now, we're going to start to bring this back into our question, all right? I want you to look at some pictures here. These are famous pieces of art from the church over the last couple thousand years. One of them is really bad art in my mind, but you'll know which one I'm talking about in a second. I want you to look at these pictures as I go through them and keep in your mind what is the common thing you see in each of these pictures. All right? This is a, uh, I'm thinking it's actually Russian Orthodox. I was looking at the writing. It looks, it's not Greek. When I dug, Zoomed in on the writing, it's not Greek. It's, a, it's at least an Eastern Orthodox or Russian Orthodox painting, icon they call them. All right, so that's probably hmm, sometime after the year 1000 at least. Okay, here's another one. Interesting, right? Hang on, hold it, hold it. All right, here's the one I don't like, the art. <laughs> this is just... The, the, these look like pansy Jesuses when I see this. But this is actually, it's older than I thought. Hang on, Wesley. Wait till I get to the last one, and then I'll see, ask you, what is the common thing you see? All right, this is a mosaic. All right, so Wesley, what is the common thing you see? Can I think three? Can I think three? Okay, sure, go ahead. Okay. Actually, just do one thing, and I'll let Liam and anybody else make any observations. What's the first thing you see common in all of them? What is he doing with his hands? He's got, what, two fingers, and they're not like this. They're just like this. Okay, what other commonalities do you see, Liam? They all have beards. Yes, at least they all have beards. And hair. Right? 
Let's see here. Jeff, and you're the only person odd out here as far as the men in the room. Okay. I was just going to, you know, men have beards, apparently. <laughs> but the thing is, is you got that shadow going. And I, I'm, I'm not doing this. <laughs> what, other, what's the, what other commonalities do you see? That's true. This is true. It's true. <laughs> Teresa, another commonality. Yeah, you see the glow. Even right there, you see the glow behind his head. And that one, it, the light source is above him, but it's still lighter at the top of his head than it is there. So, what does, why do each of them have that two fingers up together? Have you even seen like the Pope do that? I don't know why the Pope does it. I read, I was looking, looking up stuff on the net about this and somebody had, well, Hitler did that. And, and, and the Pope's fingers are kind of not together fully, but they're kind of up like that. And the Pope does, and so they must be connected. Yeah. Will, Wes, sorry, Wes. You're one, get, one technical Yeah, it's not the Trinity. Pastor Matt pointed out, it's his nature. So we have one nature. Every single person in this room has one nature. Your essence is human. He had two natures. And if you saw artwork all the way back to the beginning of the church, any pictures of Jesus, um, <clears throat> not any, so many of the pictures will have him holding the two fingers together because it's saying I, he had two natures, but they're together. He doesn't spread his fingers like this. You know, he doesn't go like this. He puts them together. It's two natures in one person. You didn't know that the art was teaching theology, did you? So I bring that up to sh- tell you, to help you see that we are not alone. Edgewood Baptist Church has a very long history. We are in the stream of church history, and we're not teaching you something new and weird. This is what the church has believed that the Bible teaches for a long, long time. Um, And this catechism question, if we get back to that, um, says, what's the question itself? The question is longer than the answer. What sort of Redeemer, what kind of Redeemer, what is the nature of the Redeemer who's needed to bring us back to God. And the answer is one who has, is truly human and also truly God. So he needs to have two natures. And next week's question is, is why does he need to have a human nature? And the week after that is, why does he need to have a divine nature? So I'm not going to dig into the why part, but just the simply the fact that this is what the Bible has taught and this is what the church has believed that the Bible has taught for 2,000 years, right? So it's, it's really um, important to think about that two natures, though, a little bit as far as what we mean by that. What it does not mean, and this is where our brains usually go, is that he was part human and part God. Like his spleen was human, but his appendix was God. No. <laughs> it, it, however you could figure it out, it does not mean he was part human and part God. It means he was fully human and fully God. That, that's really hard. It also does not mean that his godness mixed up 
with his humanness. They didn't mix together. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't turn one off. So part of the time while he was on earth, he didn't turn off his godness and just stayed human. He didn't turn off his humanness and turn on his godness. Doesn't mean that either. It means the whole time, from the time he became uh, a baby in Mary's womb, when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and caused him to be conceived, from that point, forever. He's actually still fully human and fully God. That's pretty awesome. It's kind of hard to believe because humans die. Well, why do humans die? Because of Genesis 3, right? They sinned and the curse... But Jesus died and then what? Rose again and he was given a glorified human body. So he has, he's fully human today and fully God today. Now, sometimes in, in, in the New Testament, we see that he demonstrates his deity, his godness. And sometimes we really see him demonstrate his humanness. But it does not mean that they were separated. It wasn't like all of a sudden in that point when we see him do miracles, casting demons out, raising the dead, that all of a sudden he has turned off his human part and he's now got the cape on. We can't think that way. He's fully human, fully God all the time, and they don't mix. Now, how many would say that's hard to understand? (laughs) Thank you. If you don't raise your hand, let's talk because that's pretty awesome. i got to get something out of your brain. Because that's really hard for me to understand. But to say that it's true and to see it stated in Scripture does not mean we have to grasp it and how it works. We just take God at his word. Right? Um, and it's really hard as well because the only point of reference we have for human, for, for understanding nature, is ourselves and humans, right? So that makes it even harder. Now, I said that the church has always um, taught this, but they especially made it clear in their understanding in the year 325. There was a council, and by council, by 325, the church had spread out very far. It was at least in India and all the way up to England, at least. We don't know how far for sure, but it had already spread out. And when they would have a council... Letters would go out to all those churches and say, hey, we're going to have a council. And they would send in elders, bishops, pastors, the, the leadership in that area to a certain area. And that would obviously take some time for them to even gather. So they would travel and they would stay there for a long period of time, several months, maybe a year. Because if you're going to go travel that far, you're going to make it worth your while to to, to, to be there, right? And so they would have these councils where all the leadership would gather at one place. In this case, it was Nicaea, which is really bad of me because I don't remember where Nicaea is. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> What's that? Well, it probably is near a sea because the next one came in 385, I believe, which was Constantinople. And you'll see that the councils usually are pretty stretched farther apart because of how long it would take to do this kind of thing. Um, Constantinople, is that close to the sea? It's now Istanbul, was Constantinople, now it's Istanbul. Anybody get that reference? Got an earworm in your head now? 
distractions, folks. Yeah. This council happened in Nicaea at 325, and the output of all the councils was a creed. And what we mean by that is the church, these pastors, wrestled with what does the Bible teach. And a lot of times it was the catalyst, the, what started it, was false teaching. And people were like, mm, this doesn't sound right. And others were starting to push that false teaching. So they would gather together to work it out and figure it out. So isn't that interesting? Because it wouldn't be just like the Danville pastors getting together. That wouldn't be a problem. Because I think that's actually what started them. Like the, the regional pastors would get together, figure this out. And then the news would start traveling. And they'd say, okay, let's send representatives and really hash this out. Because we're one body. And let's see, what does the word of God teach? And they, there are so many prayers. If you read the history of this, they are asking the Spirit to help them understand what God's word taught. And this one, 325, the, what came out of it was a creed called the Nicene Creed. Now, on your handout, I put the whole thing. Here, I've only put in just the portion about Jesus. So I hope you have a handout because it's really small in the print. What I want you to read, it has three sections. The first part is, and a lot of, if any of you went to a um, more formal church growing up, like Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic, you probably have recited this in the service. You would memorize it. We probably might memorize it. Um, We'll actually probably memorize the Apostles' Creed. But we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. That's the first part of the creed. It's about the Father. This here on the screen is the section about the Son, and then the last part is about the Spirit. And they're both very small, the first and last part, because they had already wrestled with a bunch of things about the Father. They haven't wrestled with anything about the Spirit at this point in history. So the whole bulk of the creed is about Jesus. What I want you to do is look at this section here. I'll read it. And you point out parts that talk about Jesus' divinity, his godness, and parts that point out his humanity. We believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and he became incarnate. Now that word, you may have heard of incarnation, that means to take on flesh, He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. All right, so kids, what part of that do you see where it talks about his human aspects, his human essence. What are some phrases from there that talk about they believe that Jesus was human? Wes? He was crucified? Crucified? Do ghosts get crucified? No. Nope. What else? There's lots in there. He was born from Mary. He was born from Mary, right? Born, ghosts don't get born. Right? Aliens don't get, well, we don't know, but <laughs> human here. <laughs> Todd? Oh. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> Never mind. Peanut gallery. 
We've seen the alien movie. I knew that was coming. All right, I'll help you out. So it looks like even from the point of he became incarnate, he was made human, right? He was crucified. Humans suffer. Humans are buried, right? And then the very first part of that section is really underscoring that he is God. So the outcome of the Nicene Creed was this statement that says, the Bible teaches these things, that he is the son, was eternally the son, which is really interesting, from, before, from the father before all ages. So he's always been the son, and he was always fully God. And there's a lot that's packed into every single one of those words. <laughs> you could read like church history books, and they, they chose each of those words on purpose. Matt. Little side note, um, at Christmas time, I always love this because St. Nicholas was at this yes. council and actually lost his cool at one point. This is one thing to love about St. Nicholas. Lost his cool and marched across the council and slapped somebody in the face. Um, that's, that's, um, that's my kind of Santa Claus right there. St. <laughs> Nicholas, Santa Claus punched somebody in the face at and, this council. And I think it was over, I think it was the, over the begotten, not made. There was somebody like, no, he was begotten, you know, and St. Nicholas on the right side of saying, no, he's God. Right. Very God, very God. He was getting frustrated because they weren't, and they finally just, Shh. How many you ever feel like that? You, you want to go up to a false teachers and yeah. say, no! Like the Batman meme, or soup, is it yeah. Batman? He slap him. <laughs> All right, so, We've got just a few minutes left. I want to dig into, like, my next question I always ask is, where do we get this from? I mean, you could look through so much in the Bible, but there's one particular passage that I think is helpful for us to see where this came from uh, or, or uh, how we see this in the Bible. How does the Bible show this, teach this? Um, Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those passages, and it's a prophecy, Right? The book of Isaiah is written um, many hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it's written during a time that's very dark for Israel because it's right, right about that time is they had, they had been living in Canaan in the promised land for a long time and were worshiping idols. And that's exactly what God said not to do. And he had sent prophets to them all for such a long time saying, no, repent, turn back to Yahweh. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. Well, Isaiah is so much talk about judgment on Israel and Judah for their worship of, of idols. But also weaved all the way through the book of Isaiah is hope as well. And this is interesting because verse 1 of chapter 9 Contrast shows you that they're in the middle of darkness, but there's light coming. So it says, but there will be no gloom for her, meaning not a person, but Israel, Judah, who was in anguish. In the former time, God, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That is talking about areas of Judah. It's trying to, a different way of describing uh, Israel, not Judah, but Israel, the country there. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
So that, that, that is Israel in terms of even the split. We, we could get into that, but he's talking about in Galilee would be not even right, I think, in Judah, but I'm going to probably make errors saying there, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> the point is, he, he's like, he's talking, we're in gloom. I know you're in darkness right now, Israel, and you're going to be sent off to Babylon. But there's a way that's coming that's glorious. So the next verse starts to explain that. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. They would have been reading this and thinking, not yet. So already they begin to see this must be talking about the future. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They're like, wait, no, there's no joy right now. That must be coming. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, which they were having famine at that time. So there was not big harvest. So they're like, oh, good. Something is great is coming. As they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Somehow, someone is coming who's going to be a warrior who will exercise judgment against the enemies of Israel. That's what he's saying. And now he's about to talk about who that would be. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We all want to sing, right? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Yahweh of hosts will do this. I want you to zoom in, though, on verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 6. <clears throat> so, that, that promised deliverer is the promised Messiah. That for years they knew a Messiah was coming. And this is a further promise that Isaiah gives to us in some details. So, that first line, for to us a child is born. What is the nature of this Messiah then? What is right there to tell you the nature of the Messiah would be? A child, born, human, right? And it says, to us, a son is given. So this Messiah, this human rescuer, will be given as a gift. A gift, presumably, to Israel, but all under its blessings. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He, this this. Messiah, rescuer, is going to be a king. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And now it says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we don't have time, but each of those four titles are referenced throughout the rest of Isaiah, and they're talking about God himself. He's described as wonderful in chapter 25, verse 1, and 28, 29. He's talked about as being mighty in chapter 10, verse 21. He's talked about God. He's talked about as being everlasting in chapter 40, verse 28. And he's talked, God has talked about as being the one who brings peace in 26, 3 and uh, 26, 12. So 
God is attributed this way in the rest of the book of Isaiah. So what does that say about the nature of the Messiah? What would his essence be? God. He would have to be God himself. He's going to be called Mighty God, the Wonderful One, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? So put that together. What is Isaiah telling them about the coming Redeemer, the coming Messiah? He's He's man and he's God. Isaiah, several hundred years before Jesus came, tells them the Messiah is going to be very God and very man. We're out of time. I'm curious, just just real quick thoughts. Why does this truth of this catechism matter? There's so many reasons, right? Maybe some of you are like, how can that matter? I mean, it's very heady. Why does it matter, though? Teresa's got one answer, and then I'll get Todd. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I love it. He, it's essential that he be God and human in order to give us what we need. And we'll get into that in the next two weeks as, with questions. Todd, what was yours? No one else can do it. Yeah. There is, no there is no other way. It had to have been the power of God to do this. And a no better way, right? Like oh, we yeah. were talking about the other day. Like, in your mind, how can you even think of a better right. way that it happened? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. So remember what I started off pointing out those false religions? This is another reason it matters. Yeah. You have to show people, yes, he was those things, but it also, he was God. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, who was the perfect redeemer, exactly what we need. I pray that you would help these truths to hold us, to ground us, to be that foundation to guide us through dark and gloomy times because we know that hope and joy lie on the other side waiting for us. In his name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.